Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Wednesday, June 3rd, 2020. This is Shannon, and tonight I'm here with Stacy and Natalia, and we are going to be in touch with the current political climate of the United States and talk about books with a social justice theme. Um, we had a really kind of nice, frivolous episode planned for this week, and then the world um, kind of began to burn, um, metaphorically, of course. Well, parts of it burned metaphorically. And we decided that it would be really fitting to talk about social justice because we need more of it in this life. So before we do that, I want to give you the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. And I'm going to start us off, followed by Stacy and then Natalia. So my first pick tonight is by an author that I have been wanting to read for quite a while. I've heard great things about her books and I would like put them on my TBR list and to be like, okay, I really need to read this. I really need to read this. And finally, when we were planning this episode, I, it was kind of the impetus I needed to actually pick up an Adriana Herrera book. Okay. So this is American Love Story. And for those among us who enjoy reading things in order, um, I have to kind of break this pattern. Because this is Dreamers book three. Um, I don't usually read out of order, but in this particular case, I decided that I could. So again, it's by Adriana Herrera, and it is about um, two men. Easton is this rich assistant district attorney, and he grew up very privileged um, in kind of this insulated family where nothing really terrible ever happened to him. And yet he was never happy. He always thought that there was more to life than just sort of the um, swanky parties and all of this entitlement that was kind of permeating the world that he grew up in. And so he went to law school and instead of joining his family's like marketing firm, he decided that he wanted to become um, a prosecuting attorney. So when we meet him, he is like in his mid thirties and the summer before the story opens, he had kind of an affair with this Haitian born college professor named Patrice. And then Patrice kind of went away. He didn't hear from him anymore. And now he's back in Ithaca. And it seems that he is working at a really prestigious university and Easton is excited because he thinks that they can get their relationship kind of back on track. But Patrice doesn't necessarily know that he wants to have a long-term relationship with a white man, especially a white man who is, in his eyes at least, partly responsible for all of the problems in the political system. So Patrice is very much an activist. He tweets a lot about all of the um, racial injustice going on in the United States. He's very, very passionate about causing some kind of change. And for him to fall in love with Easton kind of feels like he's compromising his values. Um, this is just so lovely and intense at the same time. 
I really enjoy the relationship between Easton and Patrice, especially kind of seeing them work through their differences and try to find some common ground where they can both be comfortable in the relationship. Um, Easton learns a lot about what it means to be Black in the United States today, um, but also he learns how to be a good ally and how it, the story doesn't have to center on him and like all the ways that he can or cannot change it. Um, so instead of being sort of the kind of white savior that we see in a lot of literature, he learns to be a sense of, of support for Patrice and other, um, and other black people in his community. So this is very, very sexy. Um, this is one of the first books I've seen that does phone sex really, really well and not Ooh. in like a cheap, like kind of yucky way. Um, it's just, it's a really, really lovely book. I want to go back and read the rest of the series, but this one is American Love Story and it is Dreamers Book Three by Adriana Herrera. And it's going, it's moving up on my TBR by the way you were talking about it. Yes, it's so, so good. And there is, you know, some talk of like um, police brutality and the, um, like unnecessary traffic stops that so many Black Americans deal with. Um, so it's it's very on point for the current situation. <clears throat> so I have a couple caveats to the first book I'm going to talk about because I'm not interested in gaming at all. And even more, am I not interested in reading young adult fiction? I may have said this a time or two on this very podcast, but yet when I saw the synopsis for Slay by Brittany Morris, I had to read it like now. And Slay is about a 17 year old girl, African American girl who um, creates and well, who is the creator of um, a virtual reality game called Slay that is a safe space for black people all over the world. Um, and she, she's a senior in high school. She's starting to um, apply to colleges. She uh, is a you know, very diligent student by day um, at, a, at a pretty sort of elite high school, it sounds like. Um, there are only um, she and her sister and just like maybe three other students are black and the rest of the students are, um, it sounds like very privileged white students. Um, and you know, and she's just kind of during the day, she's like the go-to, uh, for all questions about African-American culture or, you know, her, a friend of hers asks her like, um, so, and, and she's white and her friend says, so would it be okay for me to put my hair in dreadlocks? And so Kira kind of gets tired of being the go-to and the person that is supposed to have the knowledge for all of the African-American community. Um, and so at night when she gets home, she hides from her younger, very intelligent sister and her parents who are very proper that she is the creator um, of this of this game called Slay, where um, it's a space where Black people can go and just revel in um, who they are with without any uh, worry of reprisals from from white people. And something happens. Um, there's a murder, and um, her her game is is shown to be the reason why this young man is killed and suddenly her game is uh slay is under a spotlight and basically um there's all these um you know it's, it's like all over the news and there's discussions of whether or not this game is racist and it's like a gang related game for you know underprivileged black youth and just terrible things are being said about this space that kira has created and then in, the, in addition to all of this, there is this troll 
a white supremacist who has come in and is trying to invade this game and is trying to harass um, other players, but especially her online persona, Emerald. Um, and so this book is about how Kiara or Kira balances all of these different identities that she has as a friend, a sister, um, and the creator of this safe space. And this book, I, I have to be transparent and say I'm about 50 pages from the end. And I told Shannon tonight when I got the, the link to start our chat, I was so distraught. I'm like, wait a minute, the, the climactic scene is like unfolding. And I had to, I had to stop reading, but I love this book. Um, I think it's very relevant. Um, it's, it's a really interesting sort of, um, there's, there are many interesting discussions. There are moments where, um, friends with white privilege learn actually how to become allies. Um, there are moments of just wonderful sisterhood with, with her sister. Um, I, that sounds really stupid, but, um, just moments of such beauty and then moments of, um, ugliness and, you know, feelings of, um, lack of safety and, and discouragement. And it's just a really, really wonderful book. And I, I think that if you, like me, avoid young adult fiction like The Plague and think gaming sounds ridiculous, like, right. you have to read this. Like, it is seriously, like, the best. I mean, I love this book. And um, I will tell you that one of my favorite things, um, if, if you enjoy audiobooks, the majority of the book is told from Kira's point of view. But every so often, um, one of the gamers from around the world um, has a chapter in that point of view from, from gamers around the world. And um, wow. it's, yeah, there's different narrators, narrators who read it um, on Audible. I love and it. it's just, yeah, it's amazing. It's a really good book. So I do not think I just gave it, I, I did not do this book justice, but it is um, Slay by Brittany Morris. And I beg you all to go off, go forth and read. It's really quite wonderful. We never quite do books like these justice, huh? Because they're just no. so incredible. It's, and, and it's they, hard and they, to articulate without having your privilege show or like your, I don't know, like for me as a, you know, as a, a white woman, I, I want to, I want to be an ally, but I think it takes reading books like even just like Slay that on the surface is, you know, a fun book about video games and safe spaces and, you know, transitions in life, but has right. so, so much like a message to share. Um, yeah, so, so I, so I know that I'm not, lines. yes, I'm not doing it justice at all, but it's, I don't know. It's a very valuable book in my opinion. <laughs> okay. Well, my first book that I'm going to talk about, you know, speaking of con considering that you mentioned privilege, this <laughs> is written actually by a white woman, Jody Pico. And I know I mentioned her a lot, right? But Jody Pico is known for talking about different issues in different walks of life and asking the hard questions. And when I say that she asks the hard questions in her book, she really asks you the hard questions. And she has a way of making you sympathize with every, empathize and relate to every character without being biased, which is, I think, very cool. Because I don't think that I could do that um, as much as I try. And so this book is called, there were two books by her that I thought about talking about, but I think this one just works more with the climate of our episode um, and what's going on right now. And it's called Small Great Things by Joy Pico. And this book is about Ruth. She's a labor and delivery nurse, which, you know, if, if you guys know, uh, about me I just had a baby like 10 months ago so that's kind of dear to me because labor and delivery nurses they're just everything I mean they have your life in their hands at for whatever a lot amount of time you're in the hospital they're everything so she has 20 years experience and it's just an ordinary day in the hospital and she's taking care of a newborn except the next day she gets assigned to a different patient because it turns out that the parents of the newborn are white supremacists. And since Ruth is African-American, they don't want her to treat their child. And so it's, you know, it's very crazy to her that this is happening because um, not that she's being discriminated because that has been her, her life as an African-American person, but what really is crazy for her is that the hospital complies with the request and 
you know, it's, it's very upsetting. She's worked at this hospital, you know, 20 years. She's had the supervisor for a really long time. She gets along. She really thought that the hospital would take her side on this and they didn't. They complied with her request, except the next day it's her shift. She's the nurse in charge and um, she's in charge of the nursery where all the newborns are at the time. And the kid goes into cardiac arrest and she's the only one there. And so she has to decide whether she's going to do what she needs to do as far as the oath that she signed to harm none and help save lives or follow orders. Of course, she tries to save him, but the the baby dies. And now she's being sued. uh, And they want to prosecute her because since she was the last one touching the baby and they ordered her not to, they want to accuse her of being the reason why the baby ended up dying. And it's, it's such a, such a, a great novel. You guys can hear me, right? Yes. Oh, okay, good. I wasn't sure because <laughs> it was so quiet. Sorry. <laughs> it, it is, it is such a great novel about, um, I guess, privilege, Um, about what we think we know about ourselves, about what we think we know about each other. And what's crazy is that Ruth gets a defense attorney and she's white and her name is Kennedy McRae. And Kennedy has lived a life where, you know, she's one of those people that takes offense to, you know, statements like white people are racist, white people are prejudiced, because in her mind, she has never been racist and she has never been prejudiced and she has nothing against um, other, other, denom- other minorities or other people with different skin tones. But so, and, and she also is one of those people who really, really be- believes from the bottom of her heart that because she's not racist and she's not prejudiced and that racism is gone, that it's something of the past, that it doesn't exist. So even though the reason why Ruth was told not to take care of this kid was because of her race, Kennedy doesn't want to use race as a defense for her in the courtroom. And so Ruth is trying to follow this woman because, you know, they, they, they connect, they like each other. And, and this attorney is known for winning her cases. So she, she tries to keep life as normal as possible for her and her son. And she tries to do what Kennedy says, but it becomes harder and harder and harder because this is a big case in their town and it really comes down to being about race. So if you want to know the outcome of what happens and whether Ruth is found guilty or not, you should read Small Great Things by Jody Picot. I I don't think I did it justice. I it's it's such it talks about so many things and of course it's told by multiple points of view, which I like. And it even I love how it talks about the ways Kennedy and Ruth grew up and how different they were and just, just everything. I, I loved everything about this book. It was so incredible. I think I actually read it in one sitting. I didn't, I didn't put it down at all. It's an amazing book. I think um, one of the things that was hardest for me was the character um, who was the white supremacist who didn't yes. want Ruth to, you know, touch his child and just to right. really like be in that guy's head and it was hard. All of the like horrible things that he thinks just on like on daily basis. Um, on paper. It's like they're right. It's like they're nothing. Like he just like is in his mind and he's just like, oh, well, you know, and he just thinks all these things like it's perfectly reasonable to think them. And I'm like, no, like you're it's terrible. Yeah. And I couldn't believe that that people, you know, because I, I mean, I'm from a family of immigrants, so I'm kind of used to, you know, I'm not white. Not, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of like, and I, and I was raised in Miami where we're all Hispanic pretty much. I mean, you know, mostly. And so I didn't know that people thought that way, that, that people actually walked around and lived their life and, and thought this way. And, you know, in her, in her interview, she said she interviewed white supremacists and talked mm-hmm. to them. And the fact that she was able to do so because <laughs> she's a white woman, you know, I mean, right. You know, she was able to do so and get the the truth from them because of her skin it allowed her to be able to i guess for me anyway read something that i had never seen you know i've always heard white supremacy white supremacy but it was the first time i ever read it on paper and yeah it was a fictional account but there are people who feel this way it was it was insane to me oh 
yeah, it, it's an incredible novel. It really, really is. Stacey, you haven't read it, but you should. When you feel better. <laughs> All right. So my next pick um, cuts pretty deep at our current administration. Um, <laughs> this, is <inter> this is Internment, and it is oh, yeah. <laughs> by Samira Ahmed. And it is set kind of one of those things where it's set very, very close to now. Like you don't really see a year, but it's kind of like five minutes in the future, sort of. And this is the story of Layla. And Layla is 15. Um, her family is Muslim. And after Donald Trump was elected president, we started seeing things like the travel bans and the decision that, you know, residents of certain countries weren't allowed to enter the U.S. And Ahmed takes this one step further and decides that she's going to show how this can play out if he goes unchecked. So basically, this is now a story of Muslim people being rounded up in the way that Japanese people were during World War II and put in internment camps. And for Layla, like America has been her home like all of her life. Um, her parents, her mom is a doctor. I believe her father is as well. And they have lived, you know, for all intents and purposes, kind of the American dream. And suddenly they aren't allowed to do that. Suddenly like racism and prejudice is like center stage for them. And they're realizing that so many people that they thought were their friends and their allies are actually deeply afraid of them for no reason aside from their religious beliefs and perhaps their country of origin. So Layla at first tries to kind of keep her head down and follow the rules. Um, she's really concerned about, you know, if she starts to get trouble, how will this affect her family? But finally, she decides that enough is enough and that somebody has to stand up and say that this is not, this is not her version of America. This is not what people signed up for when they came to America. And so from within this camp, with the help of some other um, imprisoned teens, as well as her white boyfriend on the outside, she starts a revolution of sorts. And Layla is young. She's reckless. Um, you won't always agree with what she does. But what you will always do is understand that she is living her convictions in a way that few of us have ever really had to do, um, and perhaps in a way that more of us should do. So this is Internment. It is a fantastic, standalone, near-future novel by Samara Ahmed, and I loved it so incredibly much. I really have to read this book. It, it sounds yes. so good. Yes. So, so good. It is fantastic. You Sorry, know, I'm friends. so happy that all these, great, all these great books you guys are recommending are already out so I can start on them. Oh, I know. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I feel like um, talking about this book is cheating a little bit because – this author is so well-known and so popular and her name is one of the first to always come up. If you Google like romance authors of color um, and yet what she has to say is written in such a beautiful and powerful way that, and I also feel like I'm cheating because I talked about this book a year ago <laughs> on this podcast, but I loved it so much. And I, I felt like it was, um, it was very fitting for this podcast. Um, we're going to talk about reconstruction in New Orleans post-Civil War. And so who am I talking about? I'm talking about Beverly Jenkins, and the book is Rebel, Women Who Dare, book one. And I really love this book a lot. I, you know, it's, it's a great romance. It's about um, a young woman named Valinda, who is uh, an educator, and she comes to New Orleans to wait for her fiance, who's currently in France working on some sort of newspaper extravaganza that no one really cares about because 
very early in the book, she meets Drake Levesque. But before we get there, um, she's a teacher and she is teaching um, children and adults um, to read and write so that they can go off and, and get different types of jobs. Um, but unfortunately, in post-Civil War era New Orleans, um, there are those who are interested in um, people of color, black people learning how to read and write. And her school is destroyed and um, she is, there should be a little bit of a trigger warning. Um, she is um, attacked um, in a very aggressive way um, by a white man and is saved by Drake Levesque. And sparks fly instantly. Um, and so when things go a little awry for Valinda, she's, um, she's no longer able to stay um, at the boarding house where she's been living. And she um, finds herself in sort of a precarious situation. She's been targeted um, by just a very despicable man. And so um, Drake Levesque and his family take her in and um, thus begins a beautiful, beautiful love story. Um, and this book to me, of course, the romance was lovely. Um, Beverly Jenkins always writes a really great romance. But what I found interesting is I learned more about um, the Reconstruction era from this book um, and the attitudes of people post-Civil War and, and just everything that was going on in that era from reading this book than I ever did in any of my history classes in all of my years of education. So um, it's just, it's a very powerful book. Um, you can tell that the history and the era was very well researched. And I... I just think that everyone needs to read it. It was just a really beautiful book. So again, this is Rebel, Women Who Dare by Beverly Jenkins. I loved Rebel. And that was and very I short. <laughs> Sorry. That was good. It's okay. It was good. That was good. I love Rebel and I love Beverly Jenkins because I feel that she writes about a part of history that we never hear about, especially in school. You know, we hear right. Civil War and then we go to the Spanish one. But we also right. know from really... a white perspective, though, too. And we yes. don't have... Well, that's you know, also true. She tells true. stories um, that are in historical eras, but yet it's not so much about in, in 1865, this was happening. It is about right. experiences of Black men and women at that time. Um, and, she, and she puts the humor into it, yeah. She does, yes. yeah. And that's what I love about the way that she writes. It's true. It's true. It's, it's very awesome. I love her interviews. I love listening to her, like everything she has to say. She's phenomenal. She's a phenomenal lady. So the next book I'm going to talk about is a debut novel, and it's called Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. And I personally know that Shannon loves this book. I do. And it's I so do. funny because I, I never heard her talk about this book. I found it in a recommendation and a list. And then I saw that she had given it five stars. And I was like, oh, okay, she loved it. I'm going to love it. Yes, go. it's so good. <laughs> it is so good. And it, it works so much, so well with, with any, everything now because it talks about technology, talks about race, race, talks about privilege, just everything. And it all started with a video at, at night of an African-American woman who gets held up by a security guard because she has, she's taking care of a white toddler and she is thought to have kidnapped the child. When in fact, the child's mother, who is white and a blogger, called her to babysit the girl and take her somewhere because the little girl couldn't sleep and she needed to do some work. And um, this book is about Amira. Amira is Alex Chamberlain's babysitter. She gets paid. She you have paid. to say the name properly. It's not Alex. It's Alex. Oh, right. It's Alex. You know, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. She was always like Alex. really pissed off if people would say Alex. You know, and I think that's why I did it to insult the fictional character. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex. Um, you know, she's an affluent woman living. Um, she what does she do she's a blogger and it's really interesting what she does because she blogs about products that people send her that she tests out and she gets paid for this 
and like and i want to like, do this makes people write letters or something like her whole right. tagline is like maybe you should write a letter right and then and then she teaches them how to write letters she also teaches them how to write letters and how to write like resumes and how to present i don't i don't really know it's kind of like really confusing what she does for work but anyway um amira has to call alix's husband to come get her because the security guard is going to call the cops thinking that amira kidnapped this toddler and so he does and alix is kind of outraged that this is happening that this happened and amira is kind of upset but at the same time it's kind of like just another day in my neighborhood except this man recorded the whole incident and so he wants to know what she wants him to do with the video and she doesn't want to do anything with the video she kind of doesn't want to make a big deal out of it he's all about well we can you know this can spark change this is terrible you do realize that because you're african-american this happened to you and this is not okay and um etc etc mind you this this man i believe he's also white shannon if i'm not mistaken yeah Yeah, he is but he's he's you know very 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 passionate about this thing and so but you know amira just doesn't she wants to live her life and just doesn't you know it was horrible enough while it was happening she doesn't want any more to come of it that's just not what she wants so he deletes the video but somehow the video gets leaked and Alix finds out this happened and not only that but that this video video leaks and she wants to make it right because she doesn't feel like this was okay you know she gave this she hired this woman she gave this woman permission to babysit the little girl and she she doesn't like that this is the kind of climate we're living in and so she tries to make it right Uh and it goes really wrong for many reasons and seasons and so um to know why and to figure out you know all of these characters i would suggest that you read such a fun age by kylie reed and it just talks about the power of social media the power of personal agenda um how everybody has their own reasons for doing what they do and they they might not all be the same and they might not all be honorable and it was just such a such a learning experience because you you kind of spend your life supporting people that say the right things and they make the right actions and then maybe their intentions aren't aligned with yours so it's very it's a very interesting and new read i'm very much looking forward to whenever kylie reed writes her next novel so yes she's amazing so amazing this has been on my tbr we talked about this on this podcast a few months ago was it you, Natalia, or was it Shannon no, who talked me. about it? I think it was Shannon. Was yeah. She's beefed from me. You thiefed it. I did. I did. <laughs> and and I, I, it's been on my TBR ever since then. And, you know, when the pile is so tall and it's, like, rocking back and forth because you have so many books. But, like, I, I've been wanting to read this for a while. And now hearing you talk about it again, Natalia, I feel like I keep saying this tonight, but it's moving up higher on my list. Leaks, like, as a white woman, um you know, I could sort of identify with her, like, desire to do the right thing. Right. And yet, like, she went about it in such an inappropriate way. And weird. As I'm sure, you know, people, like, actually do. And it's just, like, very, like, cringy and, like, ugh. And yet you could see, like, how, you know, in her mind, this was, this was okay. So my next pick takes place on the south side of Chicago. This is Good Kings, Bad Kings by Susan Nussbaum. And this novel won all kinds of prizes, like literary prizes, even before it was published. Um, I don't know how you're an author who, you know, you write your debut novel and you win all these prizes before the book comes out. I don't know how you ever, like, write another novel. You can't. Well, apparently you can't because this person hasn't. (laughs) Um, So anyway, this is Good Kings, Bad Kings. And this is the story of a group of teenagers with various disabilities. And they live in what people like to call a school on the south side of Chicago. But if it's a school, it's like no school that I've ever known about. Instead, it's like, well, it's not like, it is an institution. 
And these people live here, they get kind of the minimum amount of care, and sometimes not even that. Um, there is a young woman in a wheelchair, and she would really benefit from having a power chair, but they don't want her to. They want to keep her in a manual chair so that she is easier for them to control. So we see this institution from the point of view of three of the teens who live there from several of the employees who work there and then also from the point of view of this person who's like a recruiter who goes around and tries to convince people that they should want to either come there themselves or make their children live there. And she does this in all sorts of unethical ways. But when something goes horribly wrong, like even more horribly than it does on a normal day, the residents of the institution decide that this is enough and they mount this protest in hopes of gaining more equal treatment for not only themselves, but for other disabled people across the country. So this is a novel that moves from person to person. Um, we, we don't focus on like one particular like race of people. We don't focus on people with one type of disability. Um, it is, I think, as, as intersectional a novel as it's possible to have and still like make a really strong, valid point. Um, this is about equality in so many forms and the ability to rise up even when most of the world does not recognize your worth. And sometimes you yes. may not recognize your own worth and yet you still rise up to make a change. Yes. Um, parts of this are really difficult to read. Um, there is a, a horrible scene in a shower that right. I think has scarred me um, for, the for rest life. Of my life. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is such an incredible novel, and I'm so glad that she wrote it. So this, once again, is Good Kings, Bad Kings, and it is by Susan Nussbaum. I was going to say that if she hasn't written another novel, but she got all these prizes for this novel, I, I can understand. Mm -hmm. it, it was such a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable uh, piece of work. Yes, and, yes and it is. It, you just related, at least me as a person with a disability, I related to everybody um, one way or another. I think it's also important to know that this isn't a novel that's set like historically. Right. Um, this is that's what I was going to ask fairly, you. No, it's a fairly contemporary novel. Like I don't get the impression that it's like, you know, in like 2013, but it's, it's very, it's not it's 1960. Very right. I am. I, I, I am a little worried to talk about this next book because I want to, I want to give it the, it, it was a very special book to read in a lot of ways. It was um, a very hard book for me to read. Um, and I know that as a white woman, um, anything I say about this book, I, I'm sure that somehow my privilege will, will show, but this book impacted me in a really profound way. And I'm talking about Let It Shine by Alyssa Cole. And I haven't read this book before until recently because I don't like novellas because I feel like I don't get enough. They're not, I want more always. I always end the book feeling happy when I read a novella, but always wanting more from the characters. But I knew that this was a very relevant book. Um, and so I'm going to do my best to give it the honor it deserves. Um, so it is about uh, a young black woman named Sophronia, Sophie, in 1961. And she has spent half her life being very prim, very, very proper, trying to be like the epitome of, for the time period, um, the good girl, perfect black woman. She's in college. She is quiet and meek. She does what her father says. She doesn't color outside the lines, basically. but she keeps thinking about her mother who, who died um, when she was about 12 and her mother was outspoken and loud and vocal and encouraged those traits in Sophie. And now she is watching as the nonviolent protests are happening all over the South. And 
she's finding that she's having trouble not getting involved. She wants to be part of this movement. And one of the sort of things that is a catalyst for her is an acquaintance of hers from church is on a bus and she's pregnant. And because she's tired and nauseated and pregnant, she sits down close to the front of the bus and is thrown off the bus and loses her baby. And this was very profound for Sophie that this could happen. And she decides that no longer can she remain silent. So she joins her friends at a meeting to talk about ways to protest in nonviolent ways. And it is quite shocking to her to run into an acquaintance from her childhood, or actually a dear friend from her childhood, Ivan Friedman, who is white. Um, his Jewish family left Europe just before World War II and escaped um, being escaped a fate of concentration camps. And, you know, as children, they were very close, but they haven't seen each other in a long time. But what Ivan is going to do is to teach Sophie and to teach all of those with Sophie how to withstand physical violence on the front lines at protests because he is a boxer. And his, his sort of reason for being there is to, um, he feels very strongly about supporting um, these, these protests across the South. And he also, he's a boxer. And so his, his role in all of this is he's going to demonstrate for Sophie and for her friends how to take a good punch, how to withstand being hit, how to hold your body if you're on the front lines and you're being attacked to keep yourself as safe as you can. And Sophie and Ivan reconnect and kind of have their, their love story. But for me, what stood out about this novel were scenes of nonviolent protesting where, you know, she's at a soda counter and gets a milkshake dumped on her for presuming to sit at a white soda counter where she steps off a bus and she's singing with a group of her friends at a protest and is punched and arrested by police. And this book was very challenging for me to read. I, I guess it really demonstrated to me what I don't know about that era. And I, it was very profound, but what made it even more profound for me was just after finishing the book, um, I walked into my husband's office and there were um, scenes on the news of protests around the country now. And it was just, it just kind of illustrated for me that, you know, this generation in 1961 did so much for civil rights, but there's still such a long way to go. Um, but this novella, again, is Let It Shine by Alyssa Cole, and it's beautiful and harsh and really important to read, and I really, really loved it. I need to read this. All right. So the next book I'm going to talk about is by a wonderful person, a wonderful author. I actually when we interviewed Kristen Higgins she's the one who introduced us to her yes yes and I remember the first book by her I read was Hookshot of course I'm talking Me about too. Kennedy Bryan so um, I read this book and I realized that this author talked about a lot of you know I guess issues a lot of racial issues and sent a lot of messages and I researched her and I found out that she was the first african-american author to win a, a rita award ever and that literally blew my mind blew my mind and i understand why she won it because the book was amazing but i never thought that that she was the like only one this is actually it came out before she wrote hookshop and it's called grip and you know usually when i talk about a book i talk about everything that's in the synopsis but for this book, I'm kind of going to make an exception, but I promise I'm not spoiling anything. <laughs> so this book is about Crystal, and Crystal is white, and she's a twin, 
And her brother has this remarkable, remarkable musical talent. And her dream is to manage his career and help him um, do something with it. Now, her brother, Reason, he is kind of done with music because he, his parents just always pushed him to do his music. They, they basically wanted to live off of his fame because of his extraordinary talent. And that gave him a lot of you know trauma and a lot of things that he had to get past. So he just didn't want to hear it anymore. But Crystal's dream was always to manage her brother because she felt like her, in, instead of um, wanting to gain something from him, she felt that his talent was so extraordinary that she wanted him, she felt like he could make a difference in the world and he could, I guess, share something incredible and that it would be such a sad thing if he didn't. And so um, he lets her eventually become his manager. But then in comes Marlon James and also known as Grip, a rapper, and he's black. And it's kind of like uh, instant connection. You know, she, she picks him up at the airport for her, her brother, or he picks her up at the airport for, for Reason because they're very good friends as a favor because he's working and he can't do so. And so they instantly connect and they start talking. And um, I don't remember exactly what it was and even if I did I would want you to read it but she makes a certain comment and she doesn't mean it to be disparaging condescending or unkind or anything about race because they go to a restaurant and they eat there and something happens and so she makes this comment and it's it was all of those things that she didn't mean it to be and so that sparked this intense conversation between them which sparked a really great connection but then something happens that separates them so when when um, Grip starts, it's years later. Uh, Crystal is a well-known manager of artists, and she wants to manage uh, Marlon James. She wants to manage his career, and he lets her. But she doesn't want to fall for him, although she cannot help it. And so this novel is really really great because it, it focuses on multiracial relationships from all sides. And, you know, and believe it or not, both sides, something I didn't know, you know, both sides, you always think that maybe it's just one side that doesn't want the person to date somebody from the other side, uh, or, or, or the other from a different race, I guess. But it, it, in this particular novel, it's both sides. Eventually, you know, he gets flack from his family for being with a white girl. She gets, you know, her family is this high society. Um, they're not, they're not white supremacists you know they're not like um political or anything crazy like that but they're also you know they they're not not racist so um it's really i guess interesting to see what this couple goes through and you know how or to figure out if love can overcome everything and um if love can overcome everything um how can it overcome everything else? And, you know, it's not, you don't, you know, you don't see anybody going to court or anything crazy like that, but I thought it would be, or anything, not crazy, anything, you know, very, I guess, huge worldly thing like that. But I think that while I love books that change the world, I also really love books that talk about the personal dynamics and personal interpersonal relationships that we have and how, social justice does affect those. And I think this book does a great job at, I guess, giving us that idea and, and the perspective from multiple points of view, which I love. So this is Grip by Kendi Ryan, and it has a sequel and a prequel. The prequel is called, I believe, Flow. And I know we don't like novellas very much here, but this novella particularly will leave you very happy. Awesome. I love so, Kennedy Ryan. I, yeah, I mean, Kristen, Kristen Higgins, Higgins told us about Kennedy Ryan last year. And, right. you know, I don't know how I'd never seen her name until, you know, her book was recommended by Kristen Higgins. And I think she's an amazing writer. And I loved the way she tells a story. I love the characters that she writes and just her depictions and the way that she tells a story. It's, it's very relatable and very 
raw and real and honest. And I don't know why I haven't read this book yet, but it's going to be the one I read just after we finish this podcast. Once I finish Slay, because really? I need, yes, I, I need it right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yep. So this is, this will be my next read. So I just made a last minute alteration to my Yay! discussion for this evening. So my last book is spontaneous. My... Yes, I know. I had yes, this all like, worked out. Oh my god! I, I was like all worked out in my mind, and then all of a sudden I'm like, no, this is what I have to do. So this next book is one of the best things I've read so far in 2020. And this is called A Tender Thing. The author is Emily Neuberger. And she is awesome. I interviewed her um, right around the time this novel was released. And I got to talk to her about musical theater and being a music major. It was just such a fantastic interview. But anyway, her first novel, A Tender Thing, is set in 1950s New York on Broadway. Oh my God, yes. Yes, and it's so lovely. So our heroine is a Midwestern farm girl. Her name is Eleanor. And she's grown up with these certain expectations. You know, she's supposed to get married. She's supposed to have kids. She's not really supposed to dream of more in her life. But Eleanor has always loved musical theater. And so when she hears that there's an open cast call in New York, Um, being held by one of her favorite composers, she decides that this is a chance that she can't miss. And she leaves Wisconsin behind, takes a bus to New York, and is catapulted into kind of the glitz and glamour of 1950s Broadway. Broadway. Yes. So she is very, very talented, but also very untrained. And yet she is given the lead role in this new musical called A Tender Thing. And nothing like this has ever been seen on Broadway because what it is, is the story of a white woman who falls in love with a black man in the 1950s. And nobody, like no critics, no theater goers, like nobody is prepared for this. And in many ways, the cast itself is not prepared. So Eleanor begins to not only learn what it is to be an actress, but also what it really means to be a white person in America in the 1950s and all of the privilege that this affords her, like privilege that she never really like knew that she had, just things that were just okay for her that were not okay for her African-American co-stars. Um, she starts to have a, a slow building friendship with Charles, who is her co-star, um, a black actor who is struggling to kind of be an artist, um, but who wants to be known as more than just, you know, a black guy who is on Broadway. He wants people to pay attention to him as like a person, a human being. And unfortunately, that isn't something that happens very often for him. So through the making of this show, we see racial tensions building in New York City, in Boston, um, and even just in the small kind of microcosm of the Broadway stage. And Eleanor does not always get it right. You know, she's, she's clumsy in her attempts to be a good ally because she doesn't really know how. And she says, you know, some of the things that we often say and we mean them to be kind, but, you know, they're not. Like, she'll say, oh, well, I don't, I don't think about people's race. I don't see color. Um, you know, race doesn't matter to me. And what she doesn't understand is that by saying these things, she is kind of blanking out a huge part of who Charles is as a person. And she just doesn't, doesn't see that right away. Um, this is a novel about, about art and about art's ability to change the world. Um, and a tender thing, you know, in a lot of ways, it, it goes terribly wrong because the world is not ready for the story that this composer is telling. And in the aftermath of this, like, terrible thing that happens on opening night, 
um, Eleanor is forced to really look at herself and her role in the world and what she can do to hopefully make things better um, for those who come after her. So this is a really nice mix of like enjoyable artsy reading and deep important messages. Um, I loved feeling like I was wrapped up in like the, the Broadway history um, and you could just feel like all of the, the tension building and building as this production gets closer to opening. So this once again is Emily Neuberger's debut novel. It's called A Tender Thing and I love it so much. She reads it herself um, on audio and she does a spectacular job. I remember when you interviewed her and you told me yes. what an amazing interview it was and what an amazing arc you were reading and oh. it's out, right? It's out. Yes. Yeah. Okay. My final book is one that I have to thank Shannon for finding for me. Um, but I'm so glad that she did because it resonates with me on so many levels. And I don't want to say that I, I saved the best for last because all the books I'm talking about tonight are books that I love, but um, this book is called The Pretty One on Life, Pop Culture, Disability, and Other Reasons to Fall in Love with Me by Kia Brown. And it's a collection of essays, and it is probably one of the most profound things I've read in a really long time. And Kia Brown is a woman who identifies she's a black woman, she's disabled, she's a feminist. And a couple years ago, she created the hashtag disabled and cute. And this book is a collection of essays detailing her life, her experiences. Uh, she's a twin. Uh, her twin is able-bodied, talking about that dynamic. And I'm a twin. I mean, maybe some of you remember Sarah, you know, my other half. Oh, yeah, Sarah. Yeah, Sarah, that Sarah? other one, right? I know, yeah, right? Sarah. And I mean, oh. being a twin Isn't is that like just your middle name. Well, it's my like That's my like persona. Sometimes, sometimes I come on and record. As, no, I don't. But I mean, for me, like <laughs> being a twin <laughs> is my other like dual personality, right? No, but I mean, being a twin is such an integral part of who I am. Um, and to th you know, I I I met a woman years ago with a disability who had a twin who would be considered able-bodied and. I've, I've never forgotten that. Like, I've never forgotten like what that would do, like to have a twin who didn't have the struggles that I had or who looked differently than I did or who, you know, so many things. So this book really resonated with me on many levels. So she talks about what it's like to be a black disabled woman in America and in her sort of like, um, opening remarks, she talks about how, she would just love to go to a bookstore and find on the shelf a book about a black disabled woman. And I'm not black. I'm white. But one of the things that I've always wanted is to find books about someone like me, you know, with a disability. And so when she writes about that, it really, really spoke to me um, about, you know, having myself represented appropriately in, in media. Um, she's a pop culture I mean, the way that she writes about shows and movies is amazing. You know, she grew up in the time of um, Brandy playing Cinderella and, you know, things like that. And this, this book just explores, like, her sort of evolution from sort of happy-go-lucky child to very depressed, angry, bitter teen and to a woman in her late 20s who's finally become you know, who's finally been able to begin loving herself for who she is. Um, and it's just a beautiful and whimsical look into the mind of a black woman who's disabled. Um, one of her essays is all about the importance of chairs in her life. And she names her couch Vivian. She names like theater seats, Paul, like it's just, it's an amazing book with with levity and humor and really raw honesty and it just explores the intersectionality of being black disabled a feminist and being a twin 
um, which <laughs> isn't really intersectionality, but I mean, it's just all of these things that make up who she is. And it's probably going to be one of my top reads of 2020. I loved it so much. So wow. um, I really, really encourage you to read this book. Um, it's called The Pretty One on Life, Pop Culture, Disability, and Other Reasons to Fall in Love with Me by Kia Brown. And I love it so incredibly much. Please read it. I cannot speak highly enough about it. And Mika says everyone should follow her on Twitter because apparently she is fantastic on social media. I can really imagine. I mean, Mika's so, fantastic on social media well, too, right. but I know <laughs> but that wasn't what I meant. I, I love Mika's Mika, though, social media. You should follow Mika for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So the next and last book I'm going to talk about um, is such a powerful, powerful, powerful novel. Oh my goodness. And it is so powerful because especially with everything we're seeing on the headlines right now and the, the parallels between this novel and what's happening right now in America are incredible, incredible. So this book is called The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. And I think that this book needs to, this needs to be assigned high school reading for every single human. It it needs to be like, you know how, when we go back and we say, remember when you read, you know, Ethan Frome or when you read Julius Caesar or when you read, et cetera, this needs, you know, I want my son to be 40 and say, remember when we had to read the hate you give for Mr. Or Mrs. Blah, blah, blah's class. Because it is such an important book to be read by everybody. And The Hate You Give is about Star. Star is black and she grew up in a poor, she lives in a poor neighborhood with her mother and, and her siblings. And Star is in a suburban prep school. And she goes to this school because she um, got a scholarship to be there. Uh, basically, you know, they kind of need to fulfill, have a little bit of diversity in the school. And she's one of, I think, maybe, if not the only one of the very few um, African-American people in the predominantly white suburban school. And so she's torn um, because she has really great friends in her school that are all white. And then she has friends in her poor neighborhood where she lives and the world don't connect. And she doesn't really know how to be a part of both worlds and everything completely shatters in her life when she's in a car with her friend Khalil and they're stopped by a police officer and Khalil is shot and killed while he was unarmed And I'm sure we all have heard this story um, before. And so this book was inspired by the the Black Lives Matter movement. And it's so, everything basically goes crazy after Khalil gets shot because Star is the only one who witnessed this. And she's harassed by everybody. She's being harassed by the the laws, uh, you know, the lawyers, the police officers. Um, They kind of want to know what she's going to say. Um, people think that this kid was a drug dealer and, and the, the people who buy drugs in her neighborhood and who sell them are harassing her also. And it's also a huge topic at her school and it's a huge topic at her house. And it just becomes this whole thing that kind of tears her life apart and makes her ask herself important questions and makes her figure out who's who's who, you know, who, who everyone really, really is around her. And I just, I'm not doing this book justice because I really, really don't want to spoil it. But I do think that everybody, everybody has to read it. Uh, just what happens to this girl. And, um, you know, there are riots in this book. There's looting in this book. There's protesting in this book. There's various points of view. Um, there's just everything that's controversial and that needs to be heard in this book. And this is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. And I just, she has an, a, another book that, that's called On the Come Up that I really enjoyed. I just want this author to keep writing because her voice needs to be heard everywhere. 
she is one of the people that was at um, BookCon. And I was so excited to actually get to hear her talk a little bit about her work and kind of her vision for the way her work affects the world. Amazing. All right. So that does it for us this evening. Thank you to Stacy and Natalia for pulling some social justice themed books um, in a bit of a hurry so that we could get this episode out to you this week. Thanks goes out as always to Christine for all of her editing. And thank you so much to each and every one of you who listen to us talk about all of the books that we love. We appreciate you so very much. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.